If you have been gainfully employed at one time or another, I'm sure you've also been frustrated or upset with your boss at one time or another. A reporter was writing a story about a book fair the local library put on, and the librarians hosted a bunch of games for the children. One of them was a game where they tried to throw a hula hoop around a bookend. So after the reporter wrote the story and submitted it to the editor, the email came back from the editor requesting a photo to go along with the story. But the reporter says, let me back up for a second and explain how my editor sent emails. The subject line would include all of the contents of the email. So, you know, that's fun. So my inbox dings and here pops up this email with the subject line, quote, send me the photo of the hula hoop flying child, end quote, word for word. And the writer wrote, I'll never forget my train of thought as I tried to puzzle out, what is a hula hoop flying child? Or even worse, this one. I emailed my boss notifying them I was in the emergency room. I wouldn't be able to come into work for what I thought was an obvious reason. I'm in the emergency room. My boss replied, asking me what was on my to-do list for the day and if I could send them the projects I was working on. So I begrudgingly complied. Boss followed up asking for more information with additional questions all while I was in the ER. That's unreal. But perhaps there's no worse terrible boss story than the story of Joseph and Potiphar's house. I doubt many in our living memory have been falsely accused of sexual assault and sent to prison like Joseph was. Now that's a toxic workplace. Our bosses look like best boss ever compared to Joseph's. These bad boss stories, they're funny, at least after the fact, not always so much so during. But the truth is many workplaces are unhealthy environments that over time do some significant damage to employees' mental health and sense of self-worth. And maybe you find yourself in such an environment right now. If so, I hope the wisdom and comfort you hear in this segment of Joseph's story ministers to you. And I'll share all about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. My name is LJ Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Today, we are taking a look at a lesson that is dated April 10th, 2022. It's entitled, The Lord is With You, and we're still in the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis 39. If you have your phone or if you're just listening and would rather listen than read, I will share with you what the Word of God has to say from two verses in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39, verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. Boy, that is a wonderful comfort. And Joseph was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Thank God. And God showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Two places that Joseph never expected, never wanted to be. And in both places, the Lord was with him. When we last left our beloved coat of many colored clad friend at the end of Genesis 37, he was bound hand and foot, headed for the Egyptian slave market. When we take up the story, Joseph has already been purchased by Potiphar, 
who was an otherwise unknown high Egyptian official. Scripture calls him the captain of the guard, so he was most likely some kind of military man. Were it any other figure than Joseph, the master of dreams, one would rightly expect Genesis 39 verse 1 to be the end of the story. But the narrator clues us into that the story was going to be taking an unexpected yet positive turn. In verse 2, as it reads, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. Well, we thought it was curtains for Joseph. Not so much. Prosperous, what a startling word to use for a slave. It was a sign of divine blessing that not only fell on Joseph, but also on Potiphar's entire household. The scripture reads he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was a prosperous man. Verse 3, the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper. Verse 4, all that Potiphar had put into Joseph's hand. Potiphar had made Joseph overseer over all Potiphar had, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all Potiphar had. Verse 5, verse 6, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand. That's a lot of trust. The use of the word all so many times is so significant because it shows Joseph was already fulfilling God's promise to Abraham that in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. We see that promise in Genesis 12, verse 3. John Salahammer writes, This is not a story of the success of Joseph. Rather, it is a story of God's faithfulness to his promises. In what ways do our successes reflect God's faithfulness as they did for Joseph, where they point people not to us, but to God? But Joseph's life in Egypt would not be an unbroken progression of blessing and promotion and prosperity. Nay, nay, I say. In Genesis 39, verse 7, the story takes another turn, a sad turn, a tragic turn. And it came to pass after these things, after God was with Joseph and blessed everything he had and Potiphar had, that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now it's most clear and most disturbing that Potiphar's wife appeared to think this sort of behavior was normal and was even expected. And she expected Joseph to just go along with it. This is the way of the world. But Potiphar's wife had completely misread Joseph. She didn't know about Joseph's relationship with God, his integrity. She knew, as the readers do now, Joseph was attractive. He was handsome. She also knew Joseph was meant to rule. He had leadership within him, but she falsely assumed he was only meant to rule in Potiphar's house. Finally, most importantly, she did not know Joseph was a dreamer who was given a divine destiny by God where he was leading him. So Joseph refused. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39 verse 9. Joseph wasn't concerned with getting in trouble by Potiphar or the prospect of losing his position if he was found out. Joseph was running from sin not because he didn't want to disappoint Potiphar. He didn't want to disappoint God. Joseph was not just acting out of self-preservation. He was acting out of integrity. Brueggemann says, On an understated sense of being a man of destiny, a destiny not to be squandered on a fling of passion, Joseph is not a passionless man. He has passions, but they are of a very different kind. That's a quote from Brueggemann. Now let me ask you a question. In his encounter with Potiphar's wife, Joseph was essentially offered a tempting shortcut to get ahead in his career. Why do you think people are always looking for shortcuts to success and prosperity? And why is that kind of thinking flawed and gets us in trouble? We should be a little surprised that Joseph's penalty ended up only being in prison rather than death. 
Potiphar was a high-ranking official, most likely a military man. This is probably an indication that Joseph was so valuable to Potiphar as the successful steward of his wealth and that Potiphar was at least a little bit suspicious that his wife had lied. Maybe she had done this before. Maybe with some previous servants, she accused them of rape as well. So rather than killing Joseph, Potiphar imprisoned him. So the story of Joseph goes from bad to worse. He crossed the threshold of Potiphar's house as a slave and then crossed the threshold of the prison as an inmate. However, according to Genesis 39, repeatedly we are reminded that the Lord was with Joseph. When you take these together, the reminders form an important frame around the terrible story of Potiphar's wife, reminding us God remained present, God remained active in Joseph's life. Just as God's presence made Joseph prosper, God's presence would grant Joseph favor with the jailer. And we find a very subtle yet important lesson. Yahweh's faithfulness to Joseph in prison is presented as a response to Joseph's faithfulness to Potiphar. Joseph was in a terrible situation. He had every apparent right to behave unfaithfully toward his master. He had every apparent right to question God. Why would God allow him to fall into slavery? And then why would God allow him to be falsely accused? If he's going to be accused for a crime, why not just commit it? Some would think that way. That would be their rationale. And if God really cared about me, he wouldn't let me be here. So obviously he doesn't care about me. Why should I care about him? Joseph never went there. Some would call him a victim. Why even bother being a good slave? Why be, a, why be obedient? Why have integrity? Why not betray his master's trust? Who cares? Who knows what's going on in Egypt? But Joseph realized that divine and human faithfulness, those are inseparably intertwined. If Joseph wanted God to be faithful to him, then he would be faithful to God. And in some ways, Joseph's actions illustrate this principle pronounced centuries later by Jesus. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. Luke 16, verse 10. Here's another question. Can you think of other biblical examples where the divine faithfulness and human faithfulness brought about God's divine purpose? What about from your own life? Not just from Scripture, but from life. Is it right to say God needs us to be faithful in order to accomplish his will? Why or why not? Some pretty profound questions there, so give you time to think about that. If you need to pause it, pause it. If not, we'll continue. Once again, in a most unexpected place, Joseph found prosperity, all because of divine favor. Just like with Potiphar, the jailer implicitly trusted Joseph. He granted him a position of authority within the prison, ironically, his second in command, according to Genesis 39, verses 22 to 23. Now, this might just seem like a big, cruel, cosmic joke, all at Joseph's expense, except the events that unfolded in Pharaoh's court just after Joseph was promoted. Somehow, the baker and the butler crossed Pharaoh. So Pharaoh locked them up threw them in prison right where Joseph was. Now, when we think of Baker and Butler, we think of lowly positions. But these guys had unrestricted access to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's food. These would have been positions reserved for only the most trusted, the most intimate of friends. These men had significant amounts of influence. However, most importantly for this story's purpose, their status serves to set up Joseph's next advancement, as we're going to learn in a minute. 
Salahammer notes, and I quote, Joseph's position of favor was responsible for his being assigned to wait on the two incarcerated royal officials, end quote. Again, we see Joseph's faithfulness, and we see God's faithfulness working together to bring about the fulfillment of Joseph's dream from way back in the story. To this point of the story, Joseph has been a receiver of dreams, but not an interpreter of them. God has given him dreams, but God didn't give him interpretation. In fact, part of the animosity Joseph's experienced from his brothers and even his own dad were related to Joseph's inability to comprehend the meaning of his dreams. If he realized that his dreams meant his his mom, his dad, his stepmom, rather, his dad, and his brothers would all bow down to him, I don't know that he would have been so anxious and eager to share that with everybody around the breakfast table while they choked down their flax flakes. But this is developing in Joseph's story. It's also developing in Joseph himself. Interpreting dreams was not some skill Joseph could learn. This was all divine insight. Joseph never claimed insight into dreams based on some skill he had learned, but all based on a relationship with God. God granted him access to otherwise would have been inaccessible knowledge. Joseph had no idea what the dreams meant. Joseph trusted that the God who faithfully gave the dream would be just as faithful to give the interpretation for those who would ask and believe. So one morning, Butler and Baker come down, sit down at the table. They're all sad and morose, and Joseph says, What's wrong, fellas? It's a good day. It's grilled cheese day today. And the butler baker said, I don't know, Joe. Can I call you Joe? We both had dreams, and we just don't know what they mean. And Joseph said, okay, well, you tell me the dreams, and interpretations belong to God. Let's see what they mean. And so the butler said, okay, well, in my dream there was a vine, and in the vine three branches. And the branches budded, blossoms shot forth, clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. That's what I dream, no idea what it means. And the interpretation was pretty straightforward. Joseph says, oh, okay, well, God has this interpretation. Three branches are three days. Three days until you are once again back in Pharaoh's good graces, back in Pharaoh's court, and you press the grapes back into Pharaoh's cup and put that cup back in Pharaoh's hand. Hey, good news, bud. You're going to be hired again. You're going to be right back to work where you were before. Then the baker saw that, well, that was, that's good news. And so the baker piped up and said, hey, Joseph, I, I had a dream too. And Joseph says, okay, well, let's hear your dream. These interpretations belong to God. Let's see what the Lord will say. Okay, well, in my dream, there were three white baskets on my head. And in the top basket, all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. That sounds good, doesn't it? Pharaoh, I, I'm going to work again, right? And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph frowned and said, I'm sorry, Bakey Bakerton, this is not not going to be quite as good for you. In three days, you're going to be taken out of here. Baker said, well, that's good, and hung. That's not good. Anybody want a biscuit? And so just as Joseph interpreted, sure enough, in three days, here came the guard with the keys got the butler out, got the baker out, took the butler back to Pharaoh, put him back to work, and took the baker out to the gallows and put him to death. Now, it's ironic, it's heartbreaking, that when Joseph told the butler as he was on his way back to Pharaoh, hey, don't forget about me. I'm not, I, 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 didn't, I didn't do what they said I did. I know everybody says that, but I did not do what they said I did. I'm innocent. Please tell Pharaoh my story. 
we would expect him to get right back to Pharaoh and say, boy, Pharaoh, this young man in there, he told me what I dreamed, what it meant. And it was amazing. His name is Joseph. And I really believe he's innocent. You should check into it. He forgot all about Joseph. And the scripture says, for two full years. Two full years, the butler forgot Joseph. Let's recap, shall we? Joseph was thrown into a well to die. Then his brothers said, no, let's not kill him. Let's make some cash off of him. So they sold him to Ishmaelite traders who ended up selling him to Egyptians, who ended up selling him in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar owned him. And yet God prospered him. And then Potiphar's wife lied on him. So then he was imprisoned. And then he gave an interpretation, which came to pass just as he interpreted it, thanks to God and his insight into those dreams which he shared with Joseph. And yet now he was forgotten. At the end of this segment of the story, Joseph was left to hurry up and wait. I suppose the only thing worse than being sent to prison is being left there knowing you did nothing wrong. But although Joseph's circumstances have gone from bad to worse to now unbearable, God was with Joseph. And God was laying the groundwork for what would soon be a promotion. And so in your life and in mine, God's hand and God's purpose, it might be unseen, but it is not absent. Even in our darkest, most disappointing days, God is with us. One last question before we wrap up. What do you do in difficult times as a reminder to yourself that God is with you and he has not left you? Okay, we're going to wrap it up. The story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph in Potiphar's house and in prison. It shows us that Joseph had low points. And then when he thought he could not sink any lower, he sank lower and lower. And like many of us, the story ponders the question, what else could go wrong? What is the worst that could happen? And then it asks, but what if something does go wrong and something worse does happen? But in every sense that matters, Joseph has already gone beyond the breaking point. All the trauma, all the disappointment he experienced was more than enough to break even the most buoyant, optimistic spirit. And yet Joseph survived. What was his secret? It turned out the secret was not really his, but it was God's. Joseph survived because God remained committed to his purpose and his plan for Joseph's life. And therefore, God remained present even in the worst and the worst circumstances. The dream God gave him from what would have been now about 13 years earlier carried Joseph through all of those dark days. Joseph remembered God, who never fails, never lies, never breaks a promise. God told me one day I would be promoted. And today is not that day, and tomorrow is not looking bright either. But I'm going to trust God because he made a promise. Jesus made promises to us. He made wondrous promises to his disciples and, by extension, to us in the Great Commission. He said in Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This reality serves as the impetus behind the command that we disciple all nations, found one verse earlier, because God's purpose is always linked to his presence. Pursuing one will always bring us to the other. Pursue the purpose of God and you will have the presence of God. If you pursue the presence of God, he will show you the purpose of God. The promise of the presence of God should never be misread as the promise of an absence of trouble. 
Just talk to Joseph, talk to Job, talk to Paul, talk to any of the disciples. They'll tell you just because you're right in the heart of the will of God doesn't mean life is always going to be Cadillacs and four-story houses. Sometimes there'll be persecution and what feels like abandonment, but never from God. As Joseph's life shows us, the troubles sweeten the sense of the presence of God. The difficulty of life that threatens to break us ends up becoming our strength for the next challenge we face. God got me through that. He will surely get me through this. So wherever you are and whatever you face, knowing that God is with you is all you need to overcome and be the person God has planned and purposed for you to be. I would love to pray right now. Maybe you're going through a tough time and maybe it's by no fault of your own. Maybe it's trauma that you're dealing with and you did nothing wrong to merit it or earn it and yet you're going through it anyways. I want to pray that God would show you he is with you And if you will be faithful to him, he absolutely will be faithful to you. Lord God, thank you today for your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness and your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for never leaving us or abandoning us in those tough times, the pit, the prison, Potiphar's house, everywhere. You are with us. Minister to all of those who are listening to this episode, those who are discouraged or disappointed, those whose life has gone through trauma and tragedy. Lord, please minister to them today, I pray. Let them know you're with them. Give them a sense of your presence. Let them know you are right there by their side and you will never leave them, never forsake them. Help them to be faithful to you. Minister to my brothers and my sisters, those who are going through tough times. Remind them just as you reminded Joseph. You are with them and you will bring them out and you will bring them through. I pray all of this and give you thanks for it today. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I pray this episode has been a blessing to you. Be sure to click subscribe. Be sure to click share. You'll never miss an episode, and your friends will never miss an episode. Be sure to also visit us at PentecostalPublishing.com for some great resources, Bibles, Bible studies, commentaries, books, devotional books, inspirational books, CDs, preaching, music, All great stuff to help you in your devotion and your discipleship and others as you help disciple other people closer to Jesus. Next Sunday, we especially celebrate the Sunday Jesus Christ rose from the grave under his own power. And I am beyond excited to share with you the gospel. It'll be a lesson titled The Promise of the Resurrection, dated April 17th, 2022. If you have your companion student guide, you can read along. If not, well, just wait for next week. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.